You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have Miroslava Kuperlovich Kolf. Um, she's a senior research officer and team leader with the National Research Council of Canada. And uh, Dr. Kolf uh, completed a PhD in physical chemistry from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and a postdoc in biophysics at the University of British Columbia. And the work is in the area of computational biology and cheminformatics and the application of machine learning and data mining to life sciences. So we're going to talk about uh, Miroslava's work. So thanks for coming, Miroslava. How are you doing? Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, great. Yeah. So um, you spent a lot of time and effort uh, studying, learning, learning, learning. What, what's the current focus of your research? Let's, let's drill down and talk about that. Uh, sure. So, so uh, most of, most of my my research over the last quite a long time has been in uh, you know application of uh, kind of physical chemistry methodologies, so spectroscopy, uh, NMR, uh, in getting data from uh, life science systems, and then analysis of this data using uh, uh, things like machine learning or uh, data mining or simulations uh, as in computational biology, uh, and so so particular application there is in looking at met- metabolites and and looking at uh uh you know behavior of metabolites and analysis of metabolites as diagnostic uh, uh platforms but also in as in their function in the disease development <clears throat> so with this i mean we uh, we have developed methodology for uh the quantification of metabolites from nmr uh measurements uh and uh feature selection methods for this uh, for this data and and this has been applied to many different things from uh you know, cancer, and then all the way to uh, wheat fungal interactions. So, um, you know, it, unfortunately, it's uh, it's something that affects you know, most people. Uh, cancer. What, yeah. you know, and, and I guess pick one that you've uh, that you've worked on. How many so, metabolites are created, and you know, and what does the process look like, and what have you been able to figure out about, uh, let's say, a, you know, a particular cancer? So, so yeah, so so we were looking a lot at glioblastomas. So this is a, a, a brain tumors, uh, and yeah. you know, reason for that is that this is uh, basically there is no treatment for this tumor. Uh, there is really no uh, subtype determination method. It's 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 very uh, deadly, uh, and you know, even if it's not metastatic, it could actually be lethal. So that's that's kind of unique that way. And then on top of that, it's very, very difficult often to get uh, any kind of uh, <clears throat> samples, right? So, so, so diagnostics is really complicated. So initially, we were looking at, uh, you know, it's known for for decades uh, that metabolism of cancer cells is different than normal cells. So this is a Warburg effect, and and it's known that you know cancers are uh, very hungry for glucose and and glutamate, 
and they have a, a shift in in energy uh, metabolism. They produce lactic acid, and and they do uh, different things in, uh, with the with the Krebs cycle than normal cells will do. <clears throat> but the question for us in glioblastomas was, uh, and this was done quite a long you know, five six years ago, uh, was whether there is any subtypes uh, in this particular tumor. And and the reason is that you know in clinics it's known that some some patients respond to treatment and some not at all. And at the same time, they're all just seen as glioblastomas. So we were looking at uh, uh, metabolic properties of different cell lines for uh, different, you know, from different patients, and we found that there is a difference in uh, in, me in metabolism in, in these cells, and, and we could actually get subtypes and explain that in terms of you know both metabolites and uh, some genetic changes. So this was this was quite interesting, yeah, okay. and then. Then, then we moved on to see, you know, if you would actually try different treatments on these cells, can you actually follow the treatment uh, by looking at metabolites? So one example that that I'm quite proud of is we're looking at HDEC inhibitors. So this is histone deacetylase uh, uh, inhibitors, and and these are proteins that that are involved in uh, <clears throat> epigenetic changes. Uh, so we were looking at uh, you know inhibitors of different uh, HDECs, so one, two, three, and six primarily. And we could see that, you know, in different uh, glioblastoma subtypes, there was a different response. And also that, you know, whether you're inhibiting HDX6, for example, versus 1, uh, gives you a different metabolic uh, profile. So then that means that you can actually, you know, follow the treatment progression, perhaps, through uh, looking at metabolites. And also that there is a different effect on the cell uh, of different subtypes. So so that'll be, that'll be one. So how do you... Um... So, uh, you know, these are really ignorant questions, but just I just don't know. You know, how many different possible metabolites can a cell produce, and how do you isolate a certain type of metabolite that a cell will uh, will create? Yeah. What do you do to do that? So, yeah, so that, that's another one of the fascinating things about metabolomics is that we actually still don't know all the metabolites that are produced even in a human cell. So, you know, estimate is that there is about 6,000 metabolites that uh, you know, the human cell would go through at some point, but we don't know all of them yet, and we don't know when they come up and what is their function and 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 so on. So, so this is a, you know, even though metabolism has been studied for a very very long time, even that is still still an open question. So, you know, so that you know, there really is a is I think area that needs to be looked at a lot more. <clears throat> but having said that, you know, the methodology that that exists now, analytical tools, uh, can follow probably 100 or 200 metabolites uh, accurately, I would say quantitatively. And uh, now extracting metabolites is, extracting is not hard, but the analysis is quite difficult because there are very, uh, there are very different types of molecules uh, that kind of go into this group of metabolites. Some are hydrophilic, some are hydrophobic, uh, some are fairly, very, very small, some are fairly large. Uh, so how do you measure them? Uh, is is certainly a, a, a problematic. Uh, we are mostly uh, so far have been doing NMR spectroscopy, and and it's a, it's a less sensitive method, so you can look at uh, only uh, so far at a little bit larger samples and a little bit smaller number of metabolites. But it's much more accurate and reliable, I think, than than other methods used in metabolomics. So with NMR spectroscopy, we can look at about 50 um, metabolites at a time quantitatively. So when I say quantitative, we actually know their concentration, right? So so that means that we can actually, you know, interpret biology that's happening with these metabolites in a cell rather than just looking at the signature where you don't really know what, what you're looking at. So, well, in a given so that, um, in a given cellular process, 
I would think you go through many intermediaries and a lot of them are probably very short lived. Yeah. So are we, are we stuck finding the end products of a given reaction or, you know, how fast uh, do reactions occur and how long are intermediaries lived and can you find okay. them and identify them? No, that's that's a good question. I mean, uh, so no, many many things you cannot see. I mean, absolutely, and there are many intermediaries that are are short lived, uh, and also you know when you you know when you are doing your experiment, you are stopping metabolism, so you quench metabolism of cells at a certain point, and uh, in most majority of experiments, you have a population heterogeneous population of cells that are found at different points in their life, and you are looking at kind of cross-section of, of metabolic signatures for all of them. So, uh, you know, th it's absolutely true is that you don't see everything. Now, there is, there is I think, uh, a little bit of push towards more a single-cell metabolomics where you would actually see just one cell and then you can you can look over time. Uh, there are attempts at doing uh, in-cells, so like a living cell analysis as well. But in both of those cases, you know, technology is not there yet. It's just we're kind of trying to get there. But what you can do now is that, you know, you look at this cross-section and, and uh, you know, you're making a hypothesis that in a different, say, tissues, for example, uh, cells are either making or not making certain metabolites. And when you look at your cross-section, you're going to see that. So, you know, th that that will be, and that seems to be proven so far uh, true, right? So so there is many cases where you have a specific metabolites that exist only in certain uh, cell types or are present in a way larger concentration. So, for example, in, in, uh, in uh, tumor cells, you have a huge amount of lactic acid, and in normal cells, that's usually not, not even well, hardly there at all. So, with that, you know, yes, you don't see everything, and, you know, you only see maybe 50 metabolites out of perhaps 6,000, but you do see major ones, and you see, you know, you see metabolites from many of the primary metabolism pathways. So you can kind of through that and through analysis and through simulation see where the cell is is going. So, so if you find some metabolites that in you know for instance in a cancer cell that don't exist in a normal cell, how do you then backtrack to find out how they were created and what does that tell you and what are the implications of it? Yeah, so so I mean, lots there's actually quite a bit known about so you know about the metabolism and there is a. Uh, this uh, so, uh, network called Recon3, which kind of tries to include all the possible metabolic pathways in human cells. And they're not all there. I mean, we don't know everything, but there is lots of reactions there. And and then what you can do is that you can see that, you know, if you just have your metabolic measurements, then you can see, you know, if I'm making this metabolite, these are my options of how it would be made. So then you can kind of look through this network and say, potentially, these are the, the, the pathways that are activated in this case. And then on top of that, if you have other omics measurements, so for example, if you have uh, transcriptomics measurements, then you can combine that and say, okay, now I'm seeing this metabolite and I'm seeing the changes in gene expression. That means that really this pathway is, is, is functional. Because the problem with looking at just gene expression is that, you know, if you see genes that are overexpressed, that doesn't necessarily mean that pathway or you know whatever process is actually happening. It just means the cell is making this gene, is going anywhere with it. Who knows, right? So I think having you know metabolic data on top of that then really gives you an idea that this this process is really really happening, and now that means that it's relevant for you know this cell. So perhaps a good target or a diagnostic method. So it's uh, how it's, new of a field is uh, metabolomics, and you know what are 
you know, what are some of the recent discoveries in it that have proved to be useful? So how recent field? I mean, I think the name uh, metabolomics or metabonomics comes from, uh, uh, I initially prepared Jeremy Nicholson's lab, and, and that's maybe 15 years ago, I guess the name actually came up. But actually the first uh, kind of metabolomics-like experiments were done uh, quite a bit earlier. So I think Linus Pauling did the mass spec metabolomics in the 70s, in the early 70s. You know, without actually knowing this called metabolomics, but that was high throughput analysis of metabolites with mass spec. Uh, and then before that, you know, people were doing, you know, say high throughputs, for example, amino acid screening or you know specific types of metabolite screening. So even though there was not, you know, metabolomics in the sense that we have now, there was a high throughput analysis of a certain type of metabolite. Uh, and, you know, interestingly, most of clinically used diagnostic uh, markers are still metabolites by far, right? So even though we have huge investments in, in protomics and genomics, uh, actual clinical uh, measurements are mostly done with metabolites. And I think the reason for that is, and I think that's going to stay, is that that's actually, you know, describing the, the disease that actually happens. So it's not just a, a possibility for development. So now in terms of what's most relevant discoveries, I mean, I, I think there is, is a lots of work in, uh, in, in, again, in diagnostic biomarkers. Uh, there is an increasing understanding of, uh, of potential fu you know, function of metabolites as regulators of processes. Uh, so there was, there was some um, kind of shift towards looking at metabolism and epigenetics as, uh, as uh, related areas. Uh, so I, I find that very, very fascinating. Uh, there is an understanding that some diseases, uh, for example, Alzheimer's disease, uh, has a very important metabolic component, uh, where uh, some authors even call it type 3 diabetes. So it's kind of in, in, the, in their eyes, at least, it's seen as, as very much a metabolic di disorder. Um, so, and then at the, the same time, I think there is there is huge developments in terms of uh, analytical methodologies. So there is a uh, um, you know, combination now of mass spectroscopy and NMR spectroscopy that gives you a better coverage, uh, while at the same time having higher accuracy. Um, you know, combination with uh, chromatography methods and so on. So it it is a very very fast growing field. I think. So in a so if a given reaction has I don't know x number of intermediate steps have uh, and you've identified the metabolites at you know certain amounts of the steps, have you tried to alter the reaction by introducing intermediaries or changing the amount of precursors present? Yes, absolutely. So so, so one example for that is, uh, and that's actually work that, uh, that we were doing uh, uh, here, is uh, in the bioreactors. So, you know, in the creation of, or in synthesis of biologics, right? So antibody uh, drugs. Uh, you, you grow cells in bioreactors. This would be primarily uh, jaw cells or HEC-293 cells. And to actually make the antibody that, or uh, you know, say vaccine particle, you need to feed. What if you could learn about the ketogenic diet and metabolic therapy from the world's top scientists, physicians, and influencers in a four-day experience co-hosted by Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, who's been on the Tim Ferriss podcast in Los Angeles, California, January 31st to February 3rd, 2019. If you want to hear about the latest scientific evidence on nutrition and metabolism, and its potential to treat disease, increase longevity, improve athletic performance, and yes, help with weight loss. Metabolic Health Summit is for you. 
Some of the speakers include Dominic D'Agostino, PhD, Mark Sisson, Suzanne Ryan of Keto Karma, Thomas Seyfried, uh, who studies metabolism and cancer, Aubrey Marcus, Georgia Ede, MD, Matt and Mega of Keto Connect, and many, many more speakers. At this conference, we're going to dive into the research and learn how to apply it during real-world applications with four days of presentations. There'll be nightly receptions with keto-friendly drinks and appetizers. There'll be a scientific poster session that includes the latest research on ketosis, human optimization, and more. And there'll be new innovative products at the Metabolic Health Summit Keto Expo. You'll get to network with some of the world's most brilliant minds at the Metabolic Health Summit VIP Mixer and Gala Dinner. For physicians, this activity is jointly provided by Cedars-Sinai Medical Center and the Metabolic Health Initiative. Cedars-Sinai is accredited by ACCME to provide continu continuing medical education for physicians. Earn up to 21 and a half AMA PRA Category 1 credits by attending. If you're a registered dietitian, this event has received prior approval by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics for 18 CPEs. Visit MetabolicHealthSummit.com or click on the banner and get your tickets before they're gone because it's coming soon. Remember, it's in Los Angeles, California, January 31st to February 3rd, 2019. We are only weeks away. This is a must-not-miss seminar. Eat these cells appropriately so that they actually grow for as long as possible at as high concentration as possible uh, and be as productive as possible. So, you know, they're, they're, and this is very, very tricky because, you know, these cells, if you, if you get over the certain concentration of the cell, uh, they stop producing your uh, your uh, desired particles, for example, and uh, this can be to some extent driven uh, through metabolism. So, so one thing that you know uh, several groups are doing, and us included, is to simulate uh, the met metabolism of these cells. So this could be done either through just kinetic modeling or the flux modeling, and then measure metabolic profiles of uh, of cells over time and media. And then see how you know what is actually you know happening and what is the optimal feed regime for uh, for uh, growth, for example. So this would be this would be definitely one example that's uh, uh, that's very very obvious. Yeah, it makes you wonder how medicines can work because they're only acting, I guess, on one of the the you know metabolites or substances involved in a reaction. I mean, it, yeah. is this leading no, think, to a more yeah. sophisticated way of of uh, changing reactions in the body? Yes, absolutely. And I, th I think, you know, they, they, that's absolutely true. I mean, there is, uh, I mean, there's still a lot we don't know, right? And there is lots of processes that are happening competitively. So, you know, for example, when you are, you have a, you know, old style, a small molecule medicine that's binding to a certain protein, uh, that could be affected by a metabolic profile of that cell, for example, whether this protein is, uh, you know, the binding to the drug is, is perhaps inhibited in a certain way uh, through the metabolic processes. Uh, also, we know that uh, you know activity of say P450 proteins in metabolizing drug uh, is hugely important in uh, in the actual uh, usability of this drug. Uh, so there there is there is a lot there is certainly a, a big big overlap between uh, treatment uh, and and metabolism of cells, uh, and and a lot more that we can do. I mean, at the same time, I mean, I mean, there is lots of data out there, and and we you know we do understand quite a bit. So. There's lots of information about uh, the function of, of these uh, uh, enzymes in, in drug metabolism. Uh, there's only a lot of uh, measurement for every new drug. 
there is a lot of cell culture work that can be done to to actually investigate in you know, in great detail in a very regulated situation uh, binding of of drugs to proteins. Uh, and then on the other hand, there is there is a lot increasing I think amount of work on uh, simulations. So there are some attempts at uh, whole cell modeling, so trying to actually relate uh, gene sequence information. Uh, with you know signaling pathways and go all the way to the the final metabolic processes so that you can actually in a computer in silico uh, see what's happening if you do a, a treatment or a knockdown of some gene uh, and then you know try to understand better what's going on so so I think you know that, I mean you know I'm, I don't think I'm going to be out of job anytime soon but there is a lot of work uh, <laughs> that's already happened right and and we <laughs> we are getting, we are getting there I think a little bit more now you know. I think once we understand uh, further uh, these relationships between all these biological molecules, including metabolites, uh, then I think we can develop more focused drugs uh, that are actually, you know, have very limited side effects. Well, I, I, you know, I had the idea for a drug that would be time release, but it would time release various compounds that are along the pathway of a certain, or along the, a certain metabolic pathway. So it, you know, it issues, uh, <clears throat> it releases certain precursors, and then once if certain steps happen and it issues out, uh, you know, other substances. So the reaction that is trying to, you know, slow or speed would be helped more effectively over time. I, I think I think the perhaps closest to that uh, is is now the synthetic biology. So this would be this is an attempt to have either a, a living cell, so it will be transformed, say for example, by a bacterial cell or some uh, cell particles like exosomes, uh, and, and then have those engineered in such a way that they carry a certain load, so they are a drug of some kind, that's only released when they get some kind of signal. So, for example, in, in that's pretty much exactly what you said. So if you would, you know, you could have, a, a, I don't know, a, a target for certain metabolites on, on the surface of these uh, cells, synthetic cells, uh, and then if this binds to this particular protein, then the cell does something inside uh, and releases a drug. And, and there is there is quite a bit of work uh, happening in synthetic biology uh, for that purpose, I think. So, so that, that I think that's going to be much more likely way than doing it chemically, like having actually molecules that are going to be transformed somehow. Uh, another example of that, though, is... Uh, uh, is uh, for, you, know, you know, application of for photochemistry for, you know, activating certain compounds and then using light, for example, to uh, release certain you know, amount of energy that would kill, for example, cancer cells. And, and that's been uh, worked on a lot. And that, that something like that might work as well. So, yeah. Do you think that metabolites can all be found, even if they're persistent? Or maybe some are only in <coughs> exosomes or some are only in certain parts yeah. of the cell or the outside of the cell. I mean, it sounds like we could be missing out on a lot. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, uh, yes, I mean, some, some metabolites, certainly, you know, and when I say metabolites, I got to say I think lipids as well. So uh, there are certain metabolites and, and, and lipids in this case uh, that only exist in, in some cell types, uh, definitely. And we don't, you know, I'm 100% I'm sure of that and we don't know them yet. Uh, and then in things like exosomes, for example, uh, it's still very limited knowledge of what's actually being carried by them for all the molecules, including metabolites and lipids, and, and that is something that we are actively working in now. Uh, but it's going to be 
you know, very difficult to test uh, exosomes from every type of cell in every environment. And, you know, if you have uh, them coming from biological fluids, it depends from which fluid, it depends from which cell, and so on. So, you know, uh, it's very, you know, it's hard to imagine that we will know all the possibilities out there. Uh, but I think, you know, we will likely have a very good map uh, of of major of major metabolites and i think uh in terms of diagnostics i think it's very going to be very important to know uh specifically different metabolites or unique if we can ever find them unique metabolites that are only created by for example cancer cells and and that is still uh very suspect whether we got that i'd say not yet uh but uh if you know if such a metabolite is found then that will be the perfect diagnostic tool and Something like exosomes could be perhaps carriers of that for diagnostics. Well, what about understanding bacteria and antibiotic resistance? Wouldn't it be simpler maybe to look at bacteria and see all their metabolites and what stuff yep. they give off when exposed to a certain, uh, you know, antibiotic or a phage or I mean, oh, absolutely, no, I mean, studying in the human yeah. body. No, absolutely. No, no, the, the trouble, of course, is that you know. Uh, perhaps bacteria not so much, but some things like uh, like plants, uh, they make way more metabolites than we do. And and actually looking at at plants is very, much more complicated than than human cells. You know, we like to think that we are like this ultimate being, but I I don't think we are. And and you know, say a plant would have estimated of two hundred thousand different metabolites. So figuring all of those out is going to be it's a huge challenge and, and you know that's going to be fascinating because lots of those molecules have different activities but we just need to know what they are first uh, in terms of bacteria yeah yeah i mean there, there's an incredible wealth of of uh basically data there that we're still missing uh in terms of bacteria and even more fungus i mean they uh they have a very complicated metabolism and, and fungi uh, for example, can make different metabolites depending on, uh, and you know, widely different metabolites depending on the environment they're in. Uh, so again, you know, it gets to be quite quite tricky to to look at them. But at the same time, it it is no, you know, like penicillin, for example, is affecting bacteria uh, through metabolic interactions. So so there is certainly a value in looking at at metabolites and their function uh, between, uh, say, bacteria and, and fungus or uh, you know, whatever human and bacteria and so on, because if we would actually, you know, know what is the active metabolite in certain interaction, then you know maybe that's easier. Maybe we can just look at a molecule rather than a more complicated organism. And you know, on the, on the agriculture side, that is a big, big question because you know the pesticides that we use are obviously not very good uh, for a variety of reasons. But at the same time, you know the different microorganisms in in soil they interact with one another. Well, can we figure out what those molecules that that they interact with are, and then use those because they're going to be biodegradable and you know safer or safe? Um, but we still don't know uh, what they are. Well, yeah, it sounds like uh, yeah, there's a uh, room for ten thousand or a hundred thousand researchers just on the metabolomics of uh, human cells and another million on plant cells and another few million on bacterial cells. <laughs> absolutely. It's unbelievable no. how complicated. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. What, what do you see as the near-term future of your work and then maybe a few years out, what milestones are you looking to hit? So, yeah, so I'm I'm very interested in uh, well, you know, pursuing this metabolomics work for different systems, uh, but also looking at uh, 
kind of metabolize beyond metabolism kind of thing. That's I like to call it. That sounds good. Uh, but it's looking at uh, you know the, what is the actual function of metabolites in the cell. So for example, are they inhibiting certain processes? Uh, if they are, how? Uh, and uh, you know, can that affect, for example, drugs, or can that lead to the development of certain disease? And can we use that information to improve our simulation methods for for metabolism? So. Uh, as one example, you know, uh, in uh, when you do kinetic modeling of the of metabolism, you are including some of the uh, inhibitory steps that we know, and those affect your, your function and uh, and the metabolic behavior the most. Because you know, it makes sense. I mean, if you make something and it's inhibitor, then that's going to affect your kinetic uh, very much. So if we would know all of those interactions, then we would have better models uh, for for different uh, different situations. And then also in some diseases, I mean, we know what are the, we, we, you know, there is there is lots of data that observe uh, metabolic changes prior to, for example, disease development. This is a, a one example is Alzheimer's disease, but we don't know whether that's actually have a function of some kind and it's actually triggering disease in some form, or whether that's just a side effect of some genetic changes that are actually visible in, say, for example, blood profile. So that's something that I would like to look at. And we, you know, I know in cancer they they have a different <clears throat> metabolism essentially, but other kinds of diseases is are we looking at? Uh, I guess it's the invader itself, you know, the virus or the bacteria that's causing changes in the metabolites and how the body reacts to it or how the um, the host reacts to it as well. So I guess it's, yeah. I don't even know how to express it, but no, yeah, even no, characterizing yeah. what's going on is difficult, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you have an invader, like like I said, if you have, say, a, a bacterial infection or something like this, then that will certainly affect uh, metabolism itself. But also, uh, you know, you know, lots of these diseases are uh, come from uh, I don't know, exposure or or our behavior, right? So so these these uh, I don't know, our nutritional intake, for example, can affect our epigenome, right? So it would affect our how our genes are expressed. Uh, just because of certain, uh, I don't know, toxins, you, you can call it, but let's say, I don't know, high glucose content with our food, and that's going to affect our epigenome, and then that will change how our cells are metabolizing things. And even if, in some cases, even if we revert to, say, a healthier lifestyle, that can that can remain because we have now a changed met metab metabolic profile of the cell. And this can now make some other changes, right? So if we have a very high concentration of certain metabolites that our cells are making, then that will likely change the metabolism of that cell further and lots of other cells in, in the system. So uh, that is, you know, potentially very important. Also, you know, if we have, uh, I don't know, we have shortage or if we have a lack of certain, say, uh, vitamins or, or something like this, you know, vitamin D deficiencies, that's, that's talked about a lot. Uh, that will affect our, how our cells do metabolism. They will, you know, change things so that they can actually function. But this change change will affect their health, and then that will likely lead to changes in maybe their epigenome and and so on. So uh, these things are so interconnected that you know it's, it's very hard to say. Okay, this is the the point that actually started the whole problem. But um, uh, you know, certainly certainly these metabolic changes are are part of, I would say, any disease we have, whether they're a cause or effect, I don't know. Depends on the disease, but that, that'll be uh, okay. interesting to find out. 
Well, very good. Well, it sounds like uh, it's the early stages and early days for all this, but uh, the implications are just, I mean, can't even imagine all the implications. So uh, what's the best way for listeners to find out more, to begin to just understand metabolomics and then maybe to make contact with you or your work or just some resources for them? Um, well, I mean, there's only lots of information online about this. Uh, I, you know, for for me, I mean, I, I actually published a book on NMR NMR metabolomics for cancer, so it's a little bit more, uh, I guess, specialist book. But uh, the idea of that was that it's it's accessible to say both clinicians and people involved in analysis and people involved in uh, experimentation, so that they can kind of try to understand each other a little bit better. So uh, of course, that's that's out there. I mean, there's lots of lots of work happening in in many much bigger labs than ours. Uh, lots of publications. Um, there is quite a few uh, very interesting uh, uh, kind of open lectures online uh, from different sources. So yeah, so I, I think there'll be a. There's no as always. There is no shortage of information. <laughs> it's just how to choose the right one. Um, and then That's for true. people that have a specific interest in. Uh, in uh, data mining in metabolomics, I guess there's, uh, you know, they can certainly look at things that we publish, but I mean, there's lots of other uh, much, much uh, perhaps more relevant work out there. Well, quick question in that regard, in, the, in terms of the data mining and the AI used to, well, I guess the data mining and then the interpretation yeah. of it, but is metabolomics sounds so complicated that it seems like you have to use uh probably AI or machine learning to even understand what's going on, or is it enough to just yeah. gather the data and, and process it manually? Uh, well, you you could do it manually. I think that would be a, a waste of data. <laughs> so, but uh, it is, you know, it is quite complicated. It does get quite, you know, quite large data sets very quickly. Uh, so we've been doing uh, machine learning of different kinds for, for metabolomics pretty much since, the, since we got involved in this. Um, so, you know, and you can do it from different perspectives. You can do it, uh, say, for example, to, to extract the most important features uh, for certain situations, or you can do it to, you know, try and model uh, uh, supervised methods for, say, using uh, signatures from your, your measurements for diagnostics of some kind. Uh, and then, you know, ultimately, hope, well, I hope we'll be able to use uh, uh, AI for, or, you know, different types of machine learning, especially for simulations uh, or design or improved design of uh, of simulations for uh, of metabolomics, um, and then and then also you know in terms of AI, I mean I, I think you know I, I, things like I don't know deep learning and and this sort of popular methods in AI now uh, they will hopefully allow better uh, uh, analysis of multiple different types of omics data, so genomics and metabolomics and so on, and then. You know, transferring that onto uh, say clinical decision support systems or or something like that. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Miroslava, thank you so much for coming. It's been uh, very interesting. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Hold on a second. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better. 
steer you towards a new career but give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.